Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. This is the podcast where we discuss what leadership looks like in the modern insurance business. We talk to insure tech leaders and founders, innovators and change agents from the insurance industry. We also talk to thought leaders from outside the industry, such as organizational psychologists, performance coaches and investment professionals. Anyone who can add value to the conversation on how to lead insurance businesses of the future. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Leadership in Insurance podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm lucky to be joined by Joel Bridmore, who's the MD of uh, Frontier Global Underwriting. Uh, good morning, Joel. How are you doing? I'm well, Alex. How are you, mate? Thanks for having me. Yeah, not at all. No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm glad. Well, let everyone to a secret. It's Friday. I'm quite pleased it's Friday. Um, and and the yeah. sun's come out for us as well. But um, despite the accent, you are in the, you're based in London, aren't you? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I, I've um, I've been in London for going on two years now, um, and before that, actually in Singapore. Um, so I haven't been in Australia for over, over three years now. So um, I've, I haven't lost the accent though, which is good. Yeah, and and you've brought the artwork with you as well, right? <laughs> yeah, I've got my uh, multicolored wombat in the background now. So coming <laughs> famous Zoom edition, yeah. Actually, I've got quite a, a British background, but it's quite morbid, so yeah, I tend to cut it out. Um, but uh, look, Joe, as, as is usual, the format on these things, um, I thought it'd be useful. Um, obviously, you know, you're leading a, a relatively young MGA. Um, it'd be great if you could kind of give us a bit of overview of the business and, uh, and what your particular angle is. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so I might go right back to the start. Um, my business partner, Sophie and I um, had both spent our whole careers at large corporates. Both had actually started on graduate programs at different large corporates. She was at RSA and myself, I started at AIG um, way back. Um, and, you know, had gone through and had some amazing experiences, um, you know, different parts of the world. Um, about, I guess, three, three and a half years ago, um, sort of had some feelings. I'd been having them for a while that the market was sort of, in a strange place and was quite dislocated and quite nonsensical, particularly in financial lines insurance, which which uh, we were both a part of, um, and then particularly more so the DNO market, which I was part of in Australia. Um, you know, I just the premium pool there versus the pipeline of claims for the class actions, particularly. You know, if you just did some basic analysis on it, you could see that there just wasn't enough premium in the pool um and so i thought it's not going to be long until something happens here um and you know i think that there was just a, a bit of a perfect storm over and over you know a lot of natcat um you know class actions claim settlements started to occur in the dno market then there were issues with banks as there often are the large banks around the world with sort of um, money laundering and, and similar type of investigations. And it just all, sort of came together, which is... And I suppose that's a key thing. I, I, you and I um, talked before uh, and I was saying, realistically, it seems to be you've either got to have one or two things, unique distribution or a unique products. Um, yep. It sounds like you're trying to do a little bit of both. Is that, is that fair to say? Or? I think that's very uh, a very fair statement. I think that... Um, having that experience there's two things that we have i believe there's a stigma about latin america and emerging markets particularly banks yeah. and there's also a bit of a fear about australia um and what's gone on there with the particularly the class action and claim environment it's funny because australia is almost viewed 
um, everywhere else in the world, like Australia used to view the US, like something big and scary. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you've grown up there and, and worked in that market your whole life and you understand the dynamics and have always taken time to understand the dynamics that, um, you know, it, it is a region that can be written profitably, but you need to know where to play, how to play and who to play with. Yeah, yeah, 100%. No, and it's that geographic um, expertise, I think, so interesting to talk in the context of kind of talking about, I've been doing a lot of talks about artificial in, intelligence and knowledge um, and, and the argument about, you know, will that replace underwriters, will that replace? And the thing that comes back is that, you know, there's still a room, there's always going to be room for very specialist underwriting. Um, and I think MGAs personally seem to give a platform for underwriters that are genuinely specialist and genuinely niche. Um, you're probably going to agree with me because that's what you do. Right. But, um, but I do think, I I think objectively, I just, that seems to be the platform. I I think it's a, I, I love the discussion about this, to be honest. So I think, especially in classes like directors and officers and PI and crime where inherently a lot of it is about human behavior. Um, I think there has to be um, a very smart AI model um, and robot that could ever replicate understanding that to the degree it needs to be, Mm -hmm. which is why I think about how useful Zoom and other telecommunication mediums have been during this pandemic for underwriters because you get so much out of the face-to-face and I do really insist my brokers that we have client calls as much as we can because that interaction tells you a lot about a client, what their attitude is to their business, what their buying behaviour is to you as an insurer. I just don't think AI can do that, to be honest. Um, and I think in these classes, as I said, that inherently human behavioural as well as financial and economic, um, there will always be a place for an underwriter, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? I think particularly your classes of business, it is about behaviours. And, um, you know, it's like how how intrusive can we be to assess the risk? You know, do we, you know, when, with the executive class, do, do we have behavioural characteristic profiles of them, you know, which might kind of lead us down to kind of knowing how much risk exposure we've actually got? Um, yeah. Because, and what happens when they change and, and with the frequency they change? And, um, yeah, I think it's I think it's massively fascinating. And obviously all the guys that um, have got AI tools will be like, yeah, you just need it'll get there it's just not there yet but i think the theme has been actually that all that will happen when they do come in is it will just give tools to people like you to be better at the job you know it's yeah. just it's just to enhance the kind of understanding of risk i think yeah i i, I agree with you mate yeah 100 yeah. yeah what do you what do you think about the mg platform generally obviously you, you made that decision um to come out of you know a very good career um very safe secure yeah. Um, and I know you said there was this business opportunity, but but what makes you kind of make the leap of faith into that into that model? Um, is it just something that you couldn't not do? You owed it to yourself, or yeah, I, I just kind of the mindset of kind of starting a business um, yeah. when you fundamentally are doing a similar job but with much more security. Um, yeah, what made you make that decision? No, it's a good question. Um, I think at my heart. Um, and you know I think a lot of people would agree with this I think I am entrepreneurial and I always have been so in many ways working in big corporates while it was nice and to gain that experience I I, I could get quite frustrated with the mm-hmm. with the way that they sort of operated and 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 were I mm-hmm. guess um, 
and I guess I, I've always been a very client-centric underwriter. I know that every underwriter says that, but I truly was clients first. I wanted to know about their business. I wanted to learn about it. I was very focused on that. Um, and often I think in corporates, agendas can get in the way of that um, and can stifle, you know, the client centricity side of it. Um, so I think that having the um, ability and the autonomy and freedom to be able to give my clients what I think they actually deserve was a huge um, attraction for me of, of, of this model because, you know, the value, you, anyone can talk about value, but at the end of the day, value is what you you give um, yeah no no I'm, well, obviously as a as a guy that's a uh you know runs his own business i totally agree with you one of the things i'm a bit make the yeah i'm a bit of a control freak about is, is is the proposition you know if and if i can't control the whole proposition can i control what i'm offering um and, and therefore the value I, I completely yeah. agree that um why did you make the decision to go and get investment and and not plug into kind of like an existing MGA and, and just offer them a different product in geography? Um, I guess like yourself, I wanted to, um, you know, be the controller of my own destiny, so to speak. Um, yeah. But I also, um, you know, call me sadistic if you want to, but um, the investment pitch is a thrill. I, I really, I loved it. Um, I loved having, you know, that idea and that passion and pitching and, and that was an experience in itself. Um, yeah. And given I, you know, a large amount of my book is funds, funds management, you know, I think it gives me more empathy to those guys as well, having done it myself and knowing the, the process and understanding the stresses and, and things like that. Um, but at the end of the day, I think I talked about it earlier, you know, one of these incubator models where you can essentially plug and play with every bit of infrastructure there for you. I think they have their place and certainly um, work. Um, but I think the experience that I wanted was to start something literally from scratch, you know, like walk, walk into London, which I've never, I'd never worked in London before, by the way, um, you know, source an office, get computer equipment, you know, source um, service providers and then build it from there. And it's, um, I mean, I'll tell you what, it's been extremely stressful at times, but extremely rewarding as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I found that. I, I think there's definitely something in, uh, we often talk about on the podcast about there being two schools of thought and, um, the European side of, in, of sort of the, the, this sort of startup journey tends to be bootstrapping it, then go and get investment. And the American school of thought broadly is yeah. get an idea, put it forward, get investment. And obviously you're sort of following closer to that. But I think either side of it, there's, there's something really um, humanizing about being there in your office on the first day, realizing you've got no tech support, you've got to plug in your laptops, um, you know, yep. you've got to find them, you've got to source the technology. Um, one, it gives you a newfound respect for all the stuff that you used to have. Like, yeah. oh, <laughs> My laptop stopped breaking this, this broke this week and, and I've been on the phone to Dell for God knows how many times. And, uh, and you just go, oh, wouldn't that be lovely? And, and I, I think it gives you a recognition of like how all-encompassing these companies are, but also yep. I think it makes the wins all the sweeter. You know, when you when you start getting those few clients in yourself, those, those early stage clients is, is, you know, you know it's you, your business partner, uh, yep. a chair and some laptops and you're off the ground. Um, yeah. What have you done about embracing technology? Uh, have, you, have you really tried to make that a core part of the offering or? or... Um, yeah, I think we're a combination. I think that um, you can't be an MGA nowadays without really good data capture. So 
we spent a lot of time. Um, I didn't want to be one of these MGAs who used Excel spreadsheets. You know, that was just a no-go for me. Um, yeah. And being at, being at big corporates, the irony is they'll have systems, but you inevitably end up using spreadsheets because the systems are so clunky and poorly designed that you can't trust them. So yeah. I also didn't want to go down that route. Um, so we, we did a bit of time um, sort of doing some research on some larger providers and then also being a startup, um, looking at startups and um, startup providers of management systems and things like that. But what was important for us was that they had insurance background. Um, and yeah, the, the provider we settled on, um, both the founders there had strong insurance background, had actually been at a large MGA and then wanted to go out on their own. So they understood, you know, as simple as it might seem to all of us, the jargon in insurance is ridiculously complex at times. And, yeah. and trying to make that fit in a sensical way um, can be pretty tough. So having someone that I could talk to about, you know, an IMI policy and a PI policy being part of an IMI policy and there being, you know, three standalone aggregate limits and one overall aggregate limit, you know what I mean? Like that was just so important. Um, yeah, yeah. And essentially we, we designed our own underwriting management system with their help, obviously. Um, which, you know, like all IT projects, you know, it has its challenges, but I think we've got somewhere now where, you know, we can um, capture the data so well, we can manipulate the data and we can produce reports for analysis um, really well. And I think that's just such a game changer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, no, I completely agree. I, I, I sort of sit on two sides of the fence with, with systems and, I mean, they're so configurable now. Um, yep. And obviously, I'm only speaking from my perspective, so my CRMs that I have to run. Um, one of the challenges I had was they were so configurable that I actually sort of said, this is, this is, I found that too much of a challenge because because it was it was like you've got to literally sit there and go right what is the perfect process and um and map it out and it was almost a full-time job getting that going um so it's really time consuming so i've hats off to you for sort of doing that um a large part of my role is finding people um new homes and um yeah, yeah. We, i do i like the mj space i think it more speaks to me as an, an individual you know I, I i like the entrepreneurial nature of it um but obviously when I'm talking to people that have probably come from an incumbent player, big player or, or a Lloyds player, um, sometimes doesn't always get the best press, the MJ market. Um, why, why do you think that is? Um, um, I think it's a great question and I, I 100% agree with you. Um, I think for a lot of, uh, well, maybe since my career started, Alex, to be honest, um, I think a lot of those soft market conditions put a lot of emphasis on um, carriers using MGA purely for top line distribution. Mm-hmm. And I think the only way that you can succeed as an MGA, to be honest, in, in a soft market is on price. Um, unless you have true commitment to value, which is ours, um, it, but it's very hard it, it, to, to operate with true value and that absolute conviction to adding value and not just competing on price is hard. It's really hard. Um, but, and there's probably that, uh, stigma around MGAs that well you know they cannibalize the market they cut pricing and drive things down but at the end of the day the MGAs wouldn't be there without the carriers providing them those supports so you know both are complicit um, I, I just think it's probably been an oversaturation to be honest yeah. and, and um, you know perhaps utilized for top line reasons as opposed to profit mm-hmm. yeah I don't think it's been utilized in the best way I, I, I think it's a it's a really good way I mean, someone was on the other week and we were talking about 
we're talking more about insure tech projects, projects within large organizations. And, um, you know, you could use the MJ model to, to roll out a product suite that you were unsure of fact with, you know, and, and, and utilize it from that point of view. The only problem with that, that model from someone employed within it, obviously the long term is it might get swallowed up by the cap that, you know, the carrier themselves. Um, but I just don't think, I don't think they always utilize the model the best way. And I think some of that's to do with its bad press. Um, one thing that I wanted to touch on um, was about, uh, about capacity. Um, do you think we take, it seems to me that we take too short term an approach to that. I find, I, I find it a bit, I don't find it odd because I know it's about control and, 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 and management and governance, but having to kind of renew your capacity every 12 months seems inefficient if if, yeah. if nothing else um and and, and really because if you've got controls on that capital i'm sure that you could say even if you've got a three-year deal if it's not performing then yeah. i'm sure there's ways of dipping in but every 12 months seems just doesn't seem like the best use of everyone's time i don't think yeah i mean i i would tend to agree with you i think that um obviously uh at the moment it is what it is but i certainly yeah. agree with your sentiment um i think that the value proposition to clients and brokers is, is sustainability and longevity, right, of the relationship, mm. um, particularly in long-tail classes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, sort of to walk that talk um, would make longer-term deals um, more relevant and appropriate for sure. Um, yeah. As you say, I mean, there are there's obviously reasons behind it and, and I'm sure, you know, hopefully that might change moving forward, but... Yeah, while, while, you know, longer term stuff would certainly be ideal for everyone, I think, you know, for the time being, if you can demonstrate that, you know, you're adding value, you're, you, you're, you're doing what you can say, you, you've said you will, um, and can keep continuing that. And I think transparency is key too. The, the, the closer you can get with your carrier, which is a great thing about us having, you know, one 100% at the moment is we, we mm. are developing really deep relationships there. And, and we want that, um, you know, that's not just with the London based staff at travelers, but also the U S and, and I think that's great. I mean, that's all throughout the world. Right. And um, you know, that's what we really want. So I don't, what I'm saying is I don't disagree with what you're saying, but I guess for the time being, um, you know, you, you have to be, um, grateful uh, to be able to be given this responsibility. Um, at the end of the day, we take it so seriously because it is the capital of our carrier and their shareholders, um, and 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 we take that um, immensely seriously. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. I I, I completely agree, and and I suppose particularly in your class of business, it, it's not just about getting capacity, getting the right capacity. Um, and obviously, you've got you know. A top level provider of that, um, which is hugely important, I imagine, for your line of business. It is. I think, um, you know, particularly given the personal nature that directors and officers can have um, to uh, the individuals, you know, the cover, I mean, um, you know, D's and O's really need to be careful who the providers are. Um, and, you know, if I was on the board of a, of a listed company, I, I would want, you know, the highest level security, particularly. You know, if it's an MGA, I'd want to know who their carrier is. And, you know, that's a huge selling point for us. I'm, I'm extremely proud, really, really proud to have Travellers um, as, our, as our capacity provider, yeah. Yeah, no. And um, so did you, have you just gone through your first renewal phase? This is, this yeah. Is, yeah, 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 we have. Yeah, yeah, we um pleased to report that we've um, got commitment and the renewal went well. So that's um, effective 1st of February, um, which is fantastic. Yeah, really happy with that. I mean, even then you talk about the technology and, 
the value that the data and our reporting could uh, provide in that process was was amazing. Um, and I think that the capacity provider in Travelers appreciated that a lot as well. Yeah, yeah. I imagine a little bit of it's about making making people's lives easy, right? And you're trying to have yeah. those conversations. Um, yeah, absolutely. you're able to provide the data on the on the you know on the nose straight away. Then that's a huge reassurance for anyone to say, right? These guys are in control. They know what they're doing. Let's let them get on with it. Presumably, totally. Yeah. What's um um what's twenty twenty one looking like? Um, not just for you, but um, you know, in your marketplace, and what what impacts has has the pandemic had, if any, on kind of things like rates and conditions? Yeah, um, I might go with the general market first. Um, <laughs> there's been obviously you know a lot of contraction of capacity um over the last couple of years. Um, I think that that is alleviated somewhat with a few new entrants that will come into the market in 2021. Mm -hmm. But I think people have realised that, you know, putting, which they should, putting out really large chunks of capacity on deals is um, is a thing of the past. You know, when, when claims in this space happen, they happen big. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're too exposed, you are, you're, you're, you're toast. So mm -hmm. um, not only is there a, con a contraction of providers, there's a contraction of limits and, obviously capacity available for programs. So I think that the hard market is certainly here in 2021 and probably 2022. And I think the pandemic will obviously only um, add to that. That being said, though, I think that, you know, those models who are uh, those providers, MGAs or carriers who have very strong um, strategies around what they're targeting and why um, and stick to that um, will do well. And, and at the end of the day, the, the reason we're here is, we're here to pay claims, aren't we? But we, we're also here to make profit for the carriers so they can continue paying those claims. So, you know, we don't shy away from the fact of our roles on both sides. Mm -hmm. And what about what about the business? So is it just uh, what how is it just you and your business partner today? Have you got have you got more people in the door currently or what's the plan? Yeah, I mean twenty twenty one's exciting. So um, I think I chatted about to you about this when we had our initial chat. We've actually, well, we're, we've incorporated a local subsidiary in Australia. Um, no, I'm not moving home, uh, although the weather there at the moment is pretty tempting. Um, <laughs> so we're just in, we've had our Lloyd's approval for our Australian subsidiary, um, and we are looking to open doors there 1st of March. So, you know, that's really, really exciting with a local staff member. So that's yeah. really exciting for us. Um, you know, the key is getting closer to your clients. And, you know, although I, I still deal with my local network back in Australia, the brokers and clients, just having that commitment on the ground um, with a financial services license and being locally regulated um, is a massive. Um, we're in the process now of hiring a graduate too to assist Sophie and I um, in the everyday role globally. So that's exciting too. I mean, you know, just interviewing some of these kids, I call them. Um, it's funny that using the word kid, isn't it? Um, you bet you do. Yeah. They, you know, they've just got, they're so, so incredibly intelligent. Um, mm -hmm. And some of the things they're studying nowadays is, you know, I just think, wow, like that's, that's so cool. But, you know, the, the opportunity that that individual will have with us is they'll essentially have not only training to become an underwriter, but, um, you know, an on-the-job apprenticeship in how to run a business, which yeah. I think is, you know, just as invaluable because, as I say, I was on a grad program originally and, you know, but was very underwriting focused. I didn't have a clue about what finance did or what processing did or what admin did or, you know, credit control did. And I think when you can put all those parts of it together, you, you become a much better business professional, yeah. Mm, I think that's... Um... 
and I'm not making a comment on your age, Phil. I think I think I think that's where um, the better grad programs we see now are. Absolutely, it's a it's a it's a whirlwind tour of the whole business, and um, um, and and you're absolutely right. But the thing is, you'll never get as close to it as you, as you will a small company. Um, you know, in, in my personal journey, I, I, I used to work for one of the world's biggest recruitment companies, and I, and that was exciting because it was you know had all these possibilities to move abroad and get yeah. promoted, and but. I always held dear. Um, I used to work at a company called Eames Consulting, and we—I think I was yep. one of the first twenty employees, and, and now it's this big hundred and fifty-person business. And you're so close to everything, um, and that's at twenty people. Let alone, you know, when it's when it's a handful of people, and then you get to see everything. And again, it goes back full circle to the start of this conversation. I think he makes you respect other things. Yeah, even if you that person moves on, and you know, we want people to stay with us forever, but chances are people move on at times. Um, you know, uh, I always imagine that journey. That I, I think you get such a strong toolkit when you've worked in a smaller environment because, you know, everything there's not the support structure, so you have to get hands on and you have to appreciate. Um, why do we make profit? Well, because we need to keep the lights on. And why do we? Why do we do all these things that we do? Um, there's, there's much greater visibility, so I think it's hugely beneficial. Um, and, and longer term than that, what, what's what's your kind of vision? Do you want to grow a large kind of sustainable MGA? Is are you going to build it to sell, or what? What's what's the thought process? Um, well, I think these um, you know these syndicates in a box are really exciting. Um, you know, I, I am quite an ambitious person. I think that model really appeals to me. So, you know, that might be an avenue for us down the track. Mm. Um, obviously, that requires a lot of capital, but you know, if you're successful, why not? Um, and you've got to aim high, don't you? Um, our key is Alex. I think that we, as a, it's back to that point about the soft market and MGA is only competing on price. Our model isn't to compete on price. It's all about value. Um, and, you know, we've had clients all the way our journey, our whole careers. You know, Munich Re isn't known for competing on price either. And, um, you know, any clients I had, there was a reason why they were with us. It wasn't just because we were cheapest. Um, so in that respect, I don't see us growing to the levels of some of our, you know, larger competitors in this space who just will write for volume. We really see this as a very specialty focused um, play where we can add value, get close to clients, have sticky business. But certainly I think where there's complementary products, I mean, cyber being, you know, an obvious one for the lines of business we write, but then other things as well. So we'll get the right people in and, and it'll take care of itself, you know, but at, at our core, it's our clients and our profit for our, our capacity providers. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a, it's a good, important point, I think, as well, writing for volume versus value. Um, and I think probably going back to the MGA model and some of the criticism, that that might be it because, you know, it's because of the remuneration structure, you know, it can be tempting to, to write loads of business. Um, but, you know, I think the best ones, it's, you treat it like it's your capacity, right? It's the only way you can do it. It's the only way you can underwrite Um and um, it sounds like, you know, as well, having a long-term vision of it and saying, right, I, I love that you're going for syndicate in the box and what better evidence to say you can do it than making an MGA successful. Yep, I, I totally agree. I, I love that um, concept by Lloyd. So um, I hope it's really successful. Yeah, no, likewise. And there's certainly from the conversations I've had, there's quite a lot of people trying to investigate it. And yeah, we always love new startups coming into the, the business. But what, what I think you're focusing on, which I... I want to. I love seeing more of is that it's genuinely trying to innovate products. Um, yeah. I think it's we we can be very guilty, particularly in Lloyd's, but in in lots of other markets, of, of getting excited about new entrants and then 
if they're not doing anything different, then all we're doing is redistributing the same pie. Um, and that's not growing, not growing the pie. <laughs> I, I want more pie, is what I'm saying, Joe. I think it's, um, you know, we, we need to create more of a market rather than just kind of moving different teams to different places. And, and that's why it's good to get new. Um, I think we do a better job than we did. I've been in this market 16 years. I, I was a graduate into insurance as well for RSA. Yeah. Um, and I certainly at that time, we did a dreadful idea, ability to get people into the market um, yeah. from graduates. Um, but I think we're better at it now. But it's always great to hear you bringing on a grad because, you, I mean, did you know much about insurance when you stepped up? You were just like, this is the grad scheme. This looks all right. I'll do this. You know, I, I don't know. I um, I have a really funny story in this regard. I um, So my under, undergraduate degree was criminology, and I originally wanted to be a police officer, federal yeah. police, actually. Yeah. And the more I sort of learned about the criminal justice system, I sort of became less um, convinced that it was efficient and what I believed in. So mm -hmm. I sort of graduated and thought, oh, what am I going to do now? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I guess like a lot of other grads, I went to a recruiter um, and, you know, threw my hat in the ring and my CV and what I'd done. And um, I remember getting this phone call and, and I remember the recruiter's name. Her name was Angela Martin in Brisbane in Australia. So hi, Angela, if you ever watch this. <laughs> and she said, do you know who AIG is? And I said, I wouldn't have a clue. And and at the time, they were the third biggest company in the world, right? Mm -hmm. Not not just insurer, third biggest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she said, I've got this role. I think you'd be fantastic at it. I'm like, yeah, okay. Um, so I sort of put my, um, my Lowe's, you don't have Lowe's, but it's sort of like a very, very cheap, um, department store. I had a Lowe's suit and went to this interview without much of a clue, um, and was successful, you know? Um, and you know, that grad program at the time was probably, it was called the professional associate program. I don't know if they still have it, but, um, it, it involved going to New York three times for two weeks at a time and getting trained in head office and, for a boy from Brisbane going to, to work on Wall Street, it was just like, I've made it, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I've had a really interesting journey. I essentially fell into it, which a lot, lot of people say they do, unless you have a, a father or an uncle or a grandfather who, who's been part of it, I guess. Yeah. Oh, that, I think, yeah, your, your, your story echoes so much. Um, um, everyone I have on either is like, hereditary family history and then they follow the chain or they just fall into it and I, but i think that's that's that sort of evidence of we just don't do a very good a job at promoting it you know i was talking to someone recently about you know insurance as a social good you know looking at like green financing um you know just the fact that you know it enables business um yep. Which is why people get upset when it doesn't, um, which is happening lately. But we won't go into that. But you know, it's an enabler of so many things. It's so international, and I just don't think we do a great job because you know I, I'm the same. I fell into it. I, my mis my story was simply that there happens to be a really big RSA office in the town where I'm from, and they were having yeah. a recruitment day. I had my degree, and went, I don't know what to do, so I just walked in, and um, and then and then I fell into a, a recruitment, which is the other thing you fall into. Um, yeah, but. But no, I, I just think it needs to do a better job because I think there's so many good opportunities in it. And, you know, you're obviously evidence of that. And like you say, you know, what a thing to go and work on Wall Street when you're, you know, fresh grad and, um, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, no, it was. It was, it was fantastic. I, I agree with you. I think that, um, you know, there'd be very few, few um, you know, graduates that would probably even know much about what insurance does. And, yeah. you know, given the... the the size and scope of the industry, it's quite sad, isn't it? You know, you talk yeah. to so many of these 
finance, law and economics graduates and all they want to talk about is investment banking or, you know, something like that. And I think oh, if you really knew what that, that job was like, I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, I know they make a lot of money on the whole, but it's hard work. Well, not saying insurance isn't, but, you know, the scope and the exposure that you get in insurance is just as broad, if not broader, than, than most finance professions. And, um, you know, I, I still love my job. I think it's amazing. So, yeah, you're right, mate. We need to do a better job all around. Yeah, no, completely. But um, I'm, uh, yeah, I, I, I've moved away from that end of the market, but I, I, I definitely kind of project-wise, I'm talking to a few clients at the moment about how we can do better at it. And um, I think it's, you know, even things like the actual jobs within it, um, even yep. if you know homogeneously, oh, what insurance is, you know, I didn't know what an actuary was. I wouldn't have understood the difference between an underwriter and a, and a broker. And then even when I did know, my exposure was like underwriters dealt with like car insurance, home insurance. I didn't understand, the, you know, what political violence cover was or, or your market, financial lines, which I would have found really, really interesting. So, yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's great that you're taking on a grad and, and, I, and I, hope, I hope you manage to bring on more because I think I think the more people we can get into the industry the better yeah I agree mate it's good to give back to I um I'm big on that so no we're looking forward to it and you know just hope we can bed down the right one yeah fantastic well look that's a really positive way to uh end end the end the podcast bring us some new blood in um Joel thank you so much for taking the time I really appreciate it uh, it's been yeah. a pleasure thanks for um having me on I, I think um you know, you're doing a great job, mate. I've, I've looked at a few of them and, you know, your knowledge of the industry all around is um, is really impressive. So um, I wish you all the best for future ones as well. Thank you. You've, you've just made yourself a clip I'm going to share virally now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to use that on my client pictures. Listen to this guy. But no, I really appreciate it, Joel. And um, yeah, thanks very much. Have a great have a great weekend. I wish you all the best. And you, mate. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. As always, this podcast is brought to you by FinPro Search Partners, often simply known as FinPro. FinPro is an executive recruitment business working in the insurance and insure tech space on an international basis. If you would like to find out more about FinPro, please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com or our FinPro company page on LinkedIn. I've been your host, Alex Bond, and I would personally love to connect with anyone who is interested in the changing world of insurance. So feel free to reach out to me directly, um, either on LinkedIn or via my email, uh, alex at wearefinpro.com. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and I hope to see you back next week. Thank you.